There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome to a very special festive holiday edition of That UFO Podcast. We have a Room 101 Christmas special and before I introduce the guests I just want to say thank you everyone for listening to the podcast this year. 2020, as crazy as it's been, has been uh, the year that the podcast started and it has been crazy uh, successful beyond anything I could have dreamed of. So thank you very much. Some of the guys that made that happen will be joining me on the podcast tonight and it's the same thing who were on our last round table that got some amazing reviews some great feedback as well so i thought it only fitting to to add them back on to one of the final podcasts of the year um, just before i introduce some i would just want to explain again the room 101 concept because it's something not everyone totally gets depending on what side of the pond you are on so room 101 was famously a room uh, that wasn't the nicest place from the book novel 1948 by george orwell or sorry, 1984 by George Orwell. It was uh, written in 1948, funny enough. However, it was also a UK comedy show where basically a chat show host would get a guest on and they could bin a thing, a person, a concept, an idea, something they didn't like to Room 101 so it would be gone forever. But they had to vote whether to keep it or to bin it. That's what we are doing just to frame the conversation on ufology. So what we're looking for was submissions from guests and listeners on something they would like to remove from ufology. One thing or person or concept, an idea, they think that ufology would be better off without. And we got uh, 60, 70, 80 different submissions. So we're not going to have time on this show to go through them all. So what I've done is I've picked a selection of you, the listeners' uh, submissions, which uh, I've put on the end. We've got 10 guest submissions and the three submissions and entries from the the co-hosts on the podcast as well. There'll be a separate bonus show that I'll do. It'll be with myself or with some of the guys on uh, the rest of the listener submissions as well. So look out for that in the next couple of days. The lineup that we're going to be going through on this podcast is going to have Sean Cahill, Chase Klutzke, Deep Prasad, Ryan Sprague, David Marceau, Jeremy McGowan, Simeon Hine, Jay from Project Unity, Joe Murgia, and special guest submission from none other than Mick West himself. I did ask Mick to uh, give a submission. It is the festive time of year, a time of giving and understanding, and I thought it only fair to invite Mick to give his submission to Room 101. That will be the last one of the guest submissions as well. If if you could see, uh, Dave is making a seagull pattern on his camera as well um so pity we don't release the videos of these but yeah so it's a really good show there's a lot of really good ones lined up as well folks so i'm sure you'll enjoy it but let me get you introduced to the guys first up dave from shadows of your mind magazine dave how are we doing this evening yeah not too bad thanks mate glad the last issue's out of the way it is and there's a cheap plug straight away as Mick Foley used to say in the wrestling <laughs> for the magazine do you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about what's in the latest issue 
Well, if you remember a couple of years ago, Daniel Craig did an interview straight after Spectre. And he was asked if he wanted to do James Bond again. And that's kind of how I feel we're doing the next issue at the moment. It's like I'd rather slip my wrists. <laughs> um, but no, the issue is like, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of Rendlesham coming up um, in a couple of weeks. Or, sorry, next week, isn't it? It'll um, be a couple of weeks. It'll be next week. It'll have been a few months ago, a few years ago, just depending exactly. on when this gets listened to. Yeah, so delete is applicable. An anniversary every year. But yeah, there's Chase, yeah. Chase Kletsky's in there. Um, fantastic article in which she doesn't pull any punches. You've got M.K. Rose, the incredible filmmaker who um, released The Gulf of Silence recently, which if anybody hasn't seen it yet, I recommend you do so. And there's the video game which is attempting to push the disclosure conversation forward in 2021. Um, end of the beginning, so I recommend that people check that out as well. Yep, and uh, Jim Yates of Snake Takes Video Games, who is creating that, uh, was interviewed a couple of months ago by myself on the podcast as well, so that will go hand in hand with the article if you can listen and read both of those. Awesome, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Uh, next up, we have all the way from Buenos Aires, uh, John, or as you would know him, Undead Gaucho. John, how are we doing this evening? Doing good, man. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here with you guys. It's going to be a fun night. Awesome. And you've been doing quite a few lives on your YouTube recently. How have those been going? Good, good, good. I actually have started to get a little bit more comfortable. You know, at first, going live just feels a little little strange just because it's like i could i might say something wrong or say something backwards i can't edit it out you know but now i'm, I'm having a great time and I'm, I'm happy to see all of you that are there in the live chat always and it's just it feels good to catch up with everybody every week so awesome i was going to do this live but i'm um, just knowing how poor john is at getting things right first time and um, we decided <laughs> to record and that's the easiest way just to edit out all these mistakes so yeah. <laughs> but yeah no make sure you're checking out gaucho's youtube channel and subscribe to that as well some really good stuff on there even just the conversations that pop up in the chat rooms are a fun place to be in too and last but potentially least i don't know uh, we have dan regular co-host as you know i'm the signal dan how are we doing tonight hey that, that was a uh... A lovely introduction. And do you know what? It would have been much nicer had it. Dan was really, really early for the recording, um, around two hours early, and then turned up <laughs> five minutes late for the actual recording. <laughs> yeah, st- stylishly late, right? Fashionably exactly. late, even. But I believe you have been, just to tie it back into the magazine, you've been uh, watching some of Dave's recommendations, haven't you, from his, in the latest issue, the top 10 alien TV series to watch? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched... Um, the 2019 War of the World series, uh, not to be confused with BBC One. Um, it's eight episodes long, not three. Much, much better, too. Um, and also uh, the adaptation of Childhood's End, which was fantastic. Nice. I'll be catching up with that War of the Worlds as well. I'm really looking forward to that. But listen, uh, without further ado, folks, let's get in. So first up, um, we have Sean Cahill. Sean Cahill was the second guest on that UFO podcast, which seems an eternity ago, but it was back in May. It might have been the f- end of the first lockdown before the start. I, I don't know. It just there has been a lot of lockdowns and quarantines and isolations this year for everyone. So, But yeah, Sean was very gracious, came on as my second ever guest on the podcast. Someone I've been really lucky to keep in touch with a lot since uh, as well. He's a really great guy. Uh, you'll know him as Minty Hyperspace as well on Twitter. And he's recently just released some some cool meditation stuff as well, which I suggest, especially uh, in these kind of crazy times, everyone could have a little 
um, better use out of. So first up, I'm going to play an audio clip Sean submitted of his Room 101 submission. Hi, I'm Sean Cahill, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast with Andy McGrillen. If there was one thing that I would bin or throw away from ufology, it would have to be one source anything. Whether it's uh, a one source witness, a photograph with no context, a story with no photograph, a anything that just can't back itself up, that can't triangulate, ends up becoming just interesting and at some point we'll need to get all of the disparate information together the anecdotal information that just doesn't quite fit with a logical stream and see if there's data to be gathered from there but at at the moment i think that data that triangulates is most important and that um we need to get rid of anything that has only one source a one source theory or or one line of, of data. Uh, we need a lot more triangulation. So I think that's what I'd get rid of. That was the smooth-toned Sean Cahill. Uh, my wife loves his voice. You know, whenever I, I speak to Sean or if I'm playing a clip, or she heard that clip and, yeah, it's uh, mesmerizing. So that's a free one for you for Christmas. Um, so thank you very much to Sean for that one. But Sean's submission to Room 101 is basically only having one source, whether that's one story, one witness, one photograph, one video with nothing to corroborate. Um, yeah, so let's go to Dave first on that one. What are your thoughts on one source? Oh, yeah, cheers, mate. Um it's a double-edged sword, I think. At the same time, we've got the Peter and the Wolf kind of scenario where you've just got one person saying, oh, I saw this in the sky. Um, or I managed to take a photo of it. Um, no one believes you, even though the event actually did happen. The other side of it is it's very easy for a person to fake something just for attention. Um, I mean, everyone knows that if you want hard evidence then it needs a group of witnesses or someone to corroborate what you've seen might not necessarily be the same thing that they've seen but if something happened at that exact same time then at least you got someone to back you up but you know i kind of agree with sean um there's too many of them about but if we can sort it out then uh yeah i don't know on this one actually i mean well, I think we've all had, I mean, speaking to you individually, privately, and um, obviously, John, you've been a guest on the podcast as well. We've all had incidents happen that we were the only witness to it as well. We've been there with other people as well, but like I saw that black triangle driving home, other people were on the road and saw it as well, but I don't, I don't know any of those people. I'm not in touch with them. I don't know who they are. And it's just my word that I saw this and you get the laughs and all oh, right, okay. Or you get people interested who want to know a little bit more, but like you say, it's not just my story. It's not other people have got pictures of it. It's just me. It's not like, again, the most famous one would have to be, I suppose, the Phoenix Lights, where thousands of people mm. over the course of you know a few nights had yeah. this huge experience and huge sighting. I feel it's funny that even though it was the mid-90s, it's just a little bit too far back for it to still be mega relevant in the sense that if it had happened just five or six years later, then maybe it's something we would have had better video from, better pictures from, more more of a media presence, because I think a lot changed in the media 
technology changed a lot in those five or six years up into the early 2000s. So, yeah. But, no, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. It's, it is a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, Gaucho, uh, what are your thoughts then on Sean's only having one source? Um, exactly what you guys said. It is definitely a double-edged sword because the first thing that popped in my mind when I heard that was, um, you know, people's personal experiences where they don't have a photo or don't have anybody to back up their their experience. And these days, like I mean, throughout the years in ufology, there are people that confabulate stories. But really, honestly, at the end of the day, there's only a handful of people that have really benefited like from a book or something like that from these kinds of stories. The rest of it is just doesn't benefit you at all, really, other than it, personally, it can make you maybe see reality a little bit different. So whenever I hear somebody tell me a story or I see or I read an experience or something, I just think of that automatically. So I personally think it's a, it's a good idea. It's interesting what he brought up. Cause I mean, everyone wants good cases with multiple witnesses and all the data and all the photos. And like he said, uh, really trying, uh, what did he, he said? Uh, triangulate. Yeah. Triangulating the data. But, um, there's going to be really important cases that unless we look past this idea that like, if they don't have anything to back it up, then there's no way to figure out if it's real or not. I think we need to do a lot more digging sometimes in these kinds of cases. Like personally, you need to take their story, listen to what happened to them and then see what you can find. And if you can't find anything, you can't find anything. But at the end of the day, we can't just forget about those people or not, you know, not take their, their cases seriously or their experiences seriously. So I, I wouldn't put it in the bin personally, but I, I see how it's a double-edged sword. And just, I'll bring in Dan on this one as well. I don't know if Sean's alluding to this, but I suppose most recently we've had the debrief dropped that picture of a potential balloon, whether it was a Batman party balloon, whether it was a Myler balloon that was up recording weather phenomena, whether it was something else altogether. It was a picture presented without any real context. And everyone, and I suppose including ourselves, we filled in the gaps, didn't we? The picture was put online. It was obviously in the cockpit of some fighter jet and there was an object hovering in the sky. So given our interest and our nature and who was dropping it and and the context and the conversation at the time, we all jumped to UFO and so quick or UAP and so quickly it was identified as a potentially this Batman party balloon. And then there was, yeah, but there's more data, but we don't have that data. And is, is that what Sean's getting at here, Dan, do you think? Yeah, um, that's what I thought about too. Just the the one single photograph, no story, no other data attached to it, apart from the exit data, um, which, you know, we don't, I'm not sure if your listeners kind of followed what happened, but the the initial report said that it was a 2018 incident and the data on the photo suggested it was a 2019 incident. And there was a bit of... um, discovery going on we'll say um so it was really helpful to have that second bit of data to help 
triangulate exactly like Sean said, who took it, where they were, and kind of get some other ideas. Um, without that extra data, it's it's just a random picture. As cool as it is, as much as you know the backstory and you know that it's come from the UAPTF report, it it would just be a random photo. Um, and it's it's hard to <clears throat> say that it a photo on its own with no story around it and no other data is worth any more than just some random person coming up and telling you a story and then walking off into the night. It's just a story that goes in the gray basket forevermore. And you'll, you'll never know if, you know, you'll never be able to confirm it. You can never completely shred it uh, and get rid of it. It just kind of hovers there. And even if in the future we do get some kind of disclosure, that gray basket is always going to be there because some, some of these experiences are very, very um, off the charts. Woo. I'll say um, <clears throat> we, we all know the the role that subjectivity plays with our consciousness and so on and so forth. But I, I feel what Sean's getting at is that we need um, to be able to point, paint an objective picture of the phenomenon so that we can have a conversation about it. Yeah what i like that this is going to give us a chance to do as well is almost summarize a lot of what's happened in 2020 and um, because i think naturally a lot of the events and i think we probably realize as we go through this a lot has happened this year and as we've touched on in previous shows and previous conversations it used to be years between cases and events and information being leaked out and now it seems to be almost every single week we've got something else some weeks we've got multiple articles or leaks or photographs or videos coming out or more information on, on an old video so we're, we're really lucky and probably don't realize because we're living in the time how much is really coming out so gents i'm going to ask you then uh, sean cahill has submitted having only one source of information for any particular case dave are we are we keeping only one source or are we sending that to room 101 and binning it from ufology to be honest i think we have to keep it because as Gaisha said, we can't discount just one person's testimony. They might be telling the truth. Fair enough. So that's, that's one vote for keep. Gaucho? Uh, yeah, I think we should we should keep it as well. Because, uh, you know, like, like you said, Dan, um, first this, that photo showed up. But if it wasn't for people in the community digging and looking into that photo, we would have never got that extra information. And that's what I'm saying. It always starts as as one source, one thing, one person. It's up to us to dig deeper, look past it. If we don't find anything, then it goes in the bin, like you said. But if not, we got to keep it, just in case. So is it a clean sweep, or is Dan, who didn't want any deciding votes, but he's going to get a kind of dead rubber here, because it's already been decided, what are you going for? Would you, would you consign it to room 101, or are we keeping it? I'm, I'm going to keep it, ju- just because of the role or the emerging role of uh, subjectivity in consciousness. A lot of these experiences are very strange and two people can have very different experiences being stood next to each other. So on the off chance that disparate data can triangulate and correlate, I'm going to keep it. Okay, so Sean, thank you very much for that submission. However, the gents have voted that we're going to keep that one as well. And any listeners, 
please feel free to get in touch with the show and let us know your thoughts on these as well as you listen and go through. So only one source seems to still have its place in ufology for the panel. Sorry, Sean. Yes, sorry, Sean. Everybody loves you. He's such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's Um, awesome, by the way. He is. Uh, And do you know what? He's 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 a guy who I think is going to have a big role to play in a lot of things and one of the voices, hopefully, that's really prominent in 2021 as well. Um, It it is a valuable point. because um, I mean, not. if we, if, sorry, I, right. I was just going to say it, it is, it is a well-made pun by Sean, even though we're not pouring it in the room. Um, yeah. You know, if if we put one source experiences up on a pedestal, then we suddenly have to accept Corey Good, and I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a name that came up a lot in, uh, in people's submissions. Um, yeah, so next up uh, is the lovely Chase Klutzke. Uh, Chase was a guest on the podcast a couple of months ago. Um, just uh, again, just to plug Shadows Your Mind magazine, has a great article with Dave in the most recent uh, publication as well. Goes into a lot of detail that she discussed on the show with myself and goes a little bit further as well. And, and like Dave said, Chase pulls no punches. She's really honest and it's really refreshing as well. There's no no comments. There's no, I won't discuss that. But she's very logical as well, and what she says makes sense. So, but yeah, Chase, I'll read out what she had submitted for the show. So, uh, Chase didn't send an audio. We've got some text submissions as well from guests. Uh, Chase said, I'm tired of thin wait, skin. Wait, wait, wait. Are you going to do an impression? Oh, do, do you know what? I, I... <laughs> I was <laughs> I was gonna, I, I was going to frame that and say I'm not going to do the voice, but um, I'm tired of thin-skinned eagles. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, yeah, as much as uh, some of the listeners stateside would understand that better, uh, you can't imitate Chase. So I'm tired of the thin-skinned egos. There should be zero tolerance for the bullying that goes on. If you talk publicly about someone with unverified gossip, it tells more about that person running their mouth. Chase is highlighting something, again, that's been prevalent in 2020. We have seen a lot of bandwagon jumping, a lot of people calling out people, a lot of name calling, not just on, you know, the UFO Twitter, as it's become famous or infamous, but just just all over ufology, okay? Not everyone has to agree, just for my two cents. Not everyone has to agree. Not everyone has to like each other. Not everyone has to agree with each other's opinion. This would be a really boring subject if everyone agreed with each other. And that's, that's not the point. And like we're going to find out with further submissions down the line, we don't know what's going on with this. Even the people who are in the know as such have come out and said themselves, if they're being honest, they don't really know. So again, to have personal attacks because of what someone believes or doesn't believe, there are plenty of things I don't believe. There's plenty of stories I hear and plenty of you know testimonies and people's opinions that I just don't agree with. However... That's not to say they might not be right and they don't deserve to have their, their two cents anyway. So, you know, I've I've got this podcast and this platform that people like you listening to this is, have allowed me to have and the guys coming on have allowed me to have my say. doesn't mean it's worth any more than any less than anyone else's. So there you go. So, yeah, thin-skinned skin, thin egos and bullying there from Chase. I imagine this one's uh, probably going to be pretty unanimous. However, you never know. So let's start off with Gaucho. Sorry, I was muted. No, that's <laughs> um, all right. So are we, are we binning or keeping the, the thin-skinned egos? Oh, we're going to bin them 100%. I'm a big, uh, I'm not a big fan of bullies. And I also think that uh, 
there's a there's a way to have a healthy conversation with somebody without insulting them or uh, jumping at people's throats. Uh, and sometimes it's not even the insult. Sometimes it's just like it's just people acting kind of weird in 2020, if you ask me. But um, I I think we should bin it. I don't think it'll ever happen. But out of my hate for bullies, I'm going to bend this one because I would love to just get rid of all of them. Yeah, it's the key. The keyboard warrior thing comes to mind that everyone's brave behind a keyboard. And would you say it to someone's face? And and the, the part about being thin skinned now, we live in an age where regardless of what your opinion is, mental health is huge around the globe and people have various different issues. Just personally, my background and where I'm from, I'm from Scotland and I, I don't tend to get upset or offended at anything. I've been, I'm not casting a rod out now for abuse, but you know, I've been really lucky and surprised, as I've said to Dan on many occasions privately, I can't believe how little to, to none, to no abuse that I've had since I started this podcast. It's almost like, you know, disappointing in a way. Um, but I, I, I don't get upset. I don't get offended. I don't, it's just if people disagree, they disagree. It's fine. And I, I use humor like most Scottish people do and, and most British folk do as a way to kind of just get by in life so that that that's fine and i think if you're going to have an ego and you're going to put yourself out there on a platform like twitter facebook instagram you know what snapchat like the kids use these days there's the, the cool ones anyway uh youtube you, you put yourself out there on youtube get, get you doing your lives that's yeah. you know j project unity does a lot of lives a lot of premieres you put yourself out there to an audience and people just jump on that and they can attack because they're behind a keyboard, behind a screen. They don't agree with your opinion and, and they feel that's right. Um, yeah. But you, you're saying about bidding that, which, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised, obviously. It, it's just, uh, like I said, there's healthy ways to do it. We're all adults. There's not any little kids on in this field. I haven't noticed any, at least. Um, we're all grown grown people i mean we're all we should be able to have healthy conversations without trolling people or and i understand like not everybody's going to be on the same page and some people don't get along it's just life but honestly too like i I never get that bothered i've had some crazy messages you know like or responses to videos and um i kind of just laugh and shrug it off but i'm also the kind of guy that doesn't mind a little dirt you know i don't mind rolling around in the mud a little bit it doesn't hurt but uh yeah, no bullies. Just for the just for the love of the community, we're I'm throwing that in one on one for sure. No, that's fair. And Dan, I'll bring you in here on this one. And let's be honest, we have all given the subject and what we are talking about here, the potential of what we're talking about with the phenomenon and everything that entails. You get enough giggles and laughs and abuse in various different ways from outside of the community. So we could probably do without it in the community, Dan, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is definitely going in room one on one for me. Um, <clears throat> not not only does it make me think of everything you guys just discussed, but I, I think of kind of cheesily, I guess, of uh, the end of Ratatouille. You know, the the a great cook can come from anywhere, um, <laughs> and it's true. You know, you you could just crosswise with someone in the community because you read a little bit of text wrong and suddenly you're cut off from an idea that would have blown your mind and look made you see the world in a completely different way like don't do that to yourself you know like don't spend time arguing with people online if if you 
do that, you could be using the time to do something better instead of feeding this negative emotion that's only going to grow, um, you know, on the other end of the conversation. Um, and we'll do it to more more people. Um, and I, I would also add that if you have had an exchange with somebody and you you do tap out at a certain point, don't don't leave insults on your way out. Like I see that all too many times, just trying to get the last word in and they act as if that's not happening, but they've clearly spent a while trying to think up like a pun or an insult to the person that they're talking with. And just, <laughs> you know, bluntly just grow up. This isn't the revolution that this subject and disclosure will bring isn't for children. So put your big pants on in room 101. Like that. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> and Dave, to, to wrap that one up then, so again, thin-skinned egos in the world of UFOs and ufology. Yeah, well, I've had both personal experience and I've interviewed people who have suffered with this as well. Um, the biggest person being Marie Kayali, who was an experiencer, and she suffered a torrent of, a torrent of abuse from um, people like Simon Parks and Miles Johnston and all their kind of keyboard militia. And in the end, it just got too much for her and she just disappeared. I mean, that's, if you look into all that, that's a long, horrible story that she went through. Um, but I think Chase may be alluding to um, the treatment that Christopher Bledsoe received as well on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Because this is a guy who's honest as the day is long. He's basically, you know, our generation's Travis Walton without the five-day disappearance. But, you know, he's such a genuine guy. And he was just posting things up, and then he was getting all the trolls. And his son Ryan is getting the same abuse from certain quarters, people who were, you know, foyer-chasing paperwork junkies. You know, they're just giving him loads of abuse online, saying, oh, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Can you corroborate all this? And it's just not good. We don't need this in... You wouldn't put up with it in real life, in the street. You wouldn't put up with it if someone attacked your family. So why are you hiding behind a keyboard and doing it in 140 pixels? Um, sorry, 140 characters or, you know, just hiding behind Facebook. If you've got something to say, pick a location and say it to my grill. And like you say, people at the Bledsoe's as well, like no matter what evidence, there's a lot of mic drops being made here at the cameras and thumbs up. Um, <laughs> a lot of it, the evidence that does go online, and this alludes to what I was saying before, it doesn't matter how how good or how poor it is, people will choose whether to believe it or not. So no matter what the Bledsoe's put online and the, I suppose with them, the sheer volume and the weight of what they put online, yeah. it still gets bashed or people just are just waiting to tear it down, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, Chris Bledsoe, he's had Grant Cameron visit his property. He's had Jim Semivan. He's actually spent Easter with Jim Semivan. Um, he's had Colonel John Alexander visit his property and seen something, which he's put in his own book. You know, these high-ranking people do not just turn up at somebody's house if there's nothing going on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely thin-skinned egos. I mean, I got blocked by a certain radio show host for questioning his discernment after he came out and was publicly criticising whether TTSA had actually done anything for the subject in the last three years. No, it's just a ridiculous thing to say. 
if it wasn't for TTSA, we wouldn't have conversations in front of the Senate to start. It wouldn't be on all these defence bills. And, you know, if you're going to block me for saying, um, well, for suggesting who you put on a pedestal for three years by your radio show, then fine. Deal with it in your own way. There's a lot of man-child, man-children in this community, I've noticed. Yeah. And listen, I feel it's fair to say we've said enough on that one. Um, mm. Everyone's gone with that. That is something that ufology would be better without those kind of thin-skinned egos, the name Collie and the childishness. Um, it's it's across the board, three bins, yep. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yep. Burn it. Awesome. <laughs> Burn it. Yeah. Chase Klutzke, thank you very much. That is binned and consigned to room 101. Next up, uh, and this follows on nicely, someone who this year uh, has had their fair share of controversy, someone who has had a lot of back and forwards with folk online. Has, and listen, I, I've always been fair. They have done a bit of blocking. They have been blocked themselves at Deep Prasad, came onto my podcast, and I gave them the platform. And I, I got a little bit of, um, you know, not abuse, but people gave me a couple of messages that they weren't necessarily happy. I was giving them a platform to to make his case in point after um, some stuff leaked out online that he may or may not have been as honest as he said he was and his background. And But at least give him the option, like you say, it's not just on Twitter or on Facebook or on a, on a message to come on and speak and answer some questions. And and I, I, I gave him that opportunity on the podcast as well. So the Deep Prasad interview is back in the archives. People can go on and check those out. But um, I'm going to play the clip now from Deep Prasad and what he's looking to put into Room 101. What would I send to Room 101? This is a great question, and I really love it. I think it's a neat idea. The thing that I would send to Room 101, it's a bit meta, but it's any descriptor word that we've ever come up with to describe any facet of the phenomenon. So that includes the word uh, ultra-terrestrial, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, angels, or what have you. All of these words to describe what it is that we're dealing with is a trap, in my opinion. It bogs us down. It carries tons of assumptions. Um, some of those assumptions are unfounded. And it keeps us trapped in this sort of limited worldview of understanding something that is far outside our worldview and our vocabulary. So I think that it should be replaced instead with new frameworks of understanding instead. So that was Deep Prasad, no stranger to controversy himself, um, a very bright and intelligent young man, um, really nice to speak to. He is not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, again, I think Deep uh, has had that back and forward with people and he's matured a little bit this year, I would say as well. And, and Deep's a nice guy and I look forward to having him back on the podcast next year. But like I've said, you don't have to agree with everyone. However, uh, we'll go with Dan. Dan, um, you are an amiable chap yourself. And what are your thoughts then on, on Deep going with uh, descriptive words for the phenomenon, using words like interdimensional, multidimensional, you know, even UFO, alien, spaceship, flying saucer. He feels that we're, we're pegging it down and trying to kind of pigeonhole something that we really don't understand. Yeah, I, I see where Deep's coming from. It, it's hard to describe something that you literally have no experience 
with um, to describe. Um, no one else has seen, you know, if you see something, if say, for example, just grab grab any kind of, in fact, let's use one that, that they brought up, Travis Walton. Um, you know, that's half of what Travis went through. He, the words he's using to describe his experience are from our, wait, hold on. I'm going to have to go back there. <clears throat> but yeah, the, the words that Travis is using to describe his experience are words that are already in the English language. They're, they're built upon the world that we experience um, to describe it to each other so that we can communicate, so that we can survive. Anything outside of that is going to be really, really, really hard to describe. Um, you're going to end up calling it something like the color out of space, right? Um, <laughs> just something very, very abstract. Um, but I, I just wonder whether was like ultra-terrestrial, extraterrestrial, you know, interdimensional, these things are, are less kind of definitive labels and more us searching in the dark for a label that fits. As to how we would understand it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good shout. Um, Dave, what are your thoughts on, on Deep's thoughts about the, the descriptions of a man who writes, you know, <laughs> for the subject at length and like I've said before, not blown smoke, yeah. I'll be honest. You've, you've got the best magazine out there on the subject. So as someone who writes and uses these words and speaks to people who use these words in this language, what are yeah. your thoughts on what Deep had to say? Um, thanks for the cheap plug again, mate. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, Deep has a point. But then at the end of the day, we are just using words that other people have used in the past to describe this. I mean, back in the 50s, it was just assumed that um, all this was extraterrestrial. They were coming from another planet, another galaxy, far, far away, another universe, whatever. It wasn't until things got a bit weird. Um, I think John Keel was the first one to use the word ultra-terrestrial um, during his investigations into the Mothman case and Point Pleasant and all around that. And I think we have to kind of, like Dan said, you need to, if people want to put a label on it, then if it doesn't fit the current criteria that we do have, then you're going to need to categorise it some in a different way. Well, it's a bit like music genres in a way. I mean, you can't just say all oh, heavy metal is heavy metal. You've got, you know, about 30 different offshoots of heavy metal depending on the style of the music, the style of the vocals, um, whether it's detuned or you know, operatic or anything like that. So I think, you know, interdimensional, crypto-terrestrial, hyper-terrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, all those kind of things, they are important depending on your own point of view. So I think that's something you have to make peace with with yourself. Yeah, and I think like Dan was saying as well, it's it's just labels we are putting on these things to help us understand a little bit better and you've mentioned categorizing a little bit and yeah it's crazy because what we're trying to categorize something that we don't know it's changed so much from 50 years ago that and it's almost an easier 70 years ago that we have flying saucers coming from mars that was yeah. it and then there's and then you get skinwalker ranch I mean, yeah <laughs> and you like, that? where everything seems to be happening and then you get people like you know controversial character tom delong talking yeah. about how reality and the phenomenon is so much stranger than we can even imagine 
And that's where, like, like I say, and this is my, my goal for 2021 is to ask Lou Elizondo on this podcast the question, what what does he not know that he would like to know about the phenomenon? Because that's something that doesn't break his NDA. Because you know, what what do you know? What do you not know that you would like to know? So, and, and that that's for me. It's like that would really interest me. Is that there's is there something that it just ends up all the stuff we talk about now? Let's just put mm. Greer good. Anyone in the subject that you want to name, good, bad, vilified or not, um, Alejandro Rojas, Jay from Project Unity, Dan Zetterstrom. Dan, do you want me to use your surname? <laughs> you can use my surname. It was uh, it was in the magazine. So. Oh yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah. I am I am revealed. I am out. So yeah, sorry. So I've just I've just outed Dan as well. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so that's fine. So um, yeah, so again the. I'll just leave that in, folks. That that's what happens. That says when edit. All 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 these it's, people. It's cool. I've been sending people mail anyway with the, the things I've been making. So is, know, is that mail from your Red Bubble store, Dan? Are you are you promoting that in the, the? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Red Bubble store and and the patches, yeah. Yeah, the patches, and we'll get to the patches later on. I've got a note for that anyway. But yeah, so again, all these people using all these different descriptives for the UFO. I've been asking the question: UFO or UAP? And it's just like, it's just how we are describing it. Is it going to end up that all the stuff that we all think is all sort of wrong and basic or even just like, well, yeah, that's a little bit of it, but it's only 5% of everything that's going on and everything else just blows our mind. And that's what guys like Tom DeLong are getting at, where you really don't get what's going on. You can't even imagine all this stuff that's, you know, that we find out Atlantis is part of it. And then there are things coming from other planets and, earth planets in different dimensions and it's just all this crazy weird wonderful multiverse you know of madness which mm. is the name of the new doctor strange movie i've just realized but yeah so unless it's all a simulation unless uh, it's yeah oh yeah that that caused a whole <laughs> argument last time online but yeah so no i, I can definitely see what what deep's getting at um and gaucho i'll bring you on on this one as well then so descriptive words for the phenomena you know i totally understand what he's saying though uh because recently with this talk of usos and ufos and transmedium travel i've been thinking like so it's basically all the same thing so for us to call it a ufo an unidentified flying object and then us to call it a uso an unidentified submerged object we and then unidentified aerial phenomenon we're gonna have to change that completely because if they can go through the sky and in the water and any through portals and things like that, we need a new uh, word to classify these craft because it seems like we're, uh, I don't know, we're, we're putting them in corners when they can jump all over the board. Let me ask uh, you, John, I want to ask a question then. So you've used the word there, we. So we, the collective, let's go for UFO community, have all mm-hmm. these different categories and all these different ways we describe the subject. The mainstream public... And, and, you know, the mainstream media don't really care about UAP. They don't care about crypto, hyper-terrestrial, ultra-terrestrial. Yeah. They don't care about super-terrestrials, whatever. They, they they know UFO and they know alien. So for yeah. them, uh, is it still right that we just that those are those are terms that still stick around because that makes sense? And ultimately, when this does break big, because it's not, whatever, regardless of what anyone says, the conversation, yes, it's moved forward. It's not mm. broken into the mainstream properly yet because it's not on every night on the news and it's not a huge scientific study. 
is it right yeah. that it's going to be UFO and it's going to be alien that's talked about for a long time when this does make it big? Yeah, it, it will be. But I think also us calling it unidentified flying objects is what's actually tripped us up all these years and made us miss, you know, that these things could obviously fly through water and fly through the sky and, and do all the amazing things that they can because back in the day they were like unidentified flying objects instead of thinking, well, obviously this thing can fly through the sea as well. If it can shoot around the skies and fly into space and drop down and do all the things that it's doing. I think that literally has made us look away from the bigger picture. So what deep is saying actually makes sense. And like, we use these terms to classify different things. I don't know if we can throw it into room 101, but it does make sense what he's saying. Because I think sometimes having all these terms and these different uh, words that we use to classify the phenomenon, that is actually, the phenomenon can't be put in a box. It, it makes know? me think of, of two um, famous people involved in the subject, one being Buzz Lightyear, who famously said, I'm not <laughs> flying, I'm, I'm, I'm falling with style. And, and Bob Lazar obviously claimed that, I remember he used the analogy that the craft don't fly, and he used the concept of putting a bowling ball on a bed mattress. Mm-hmm. And if you put your fist down in front of the bowling ball, not touching the ball, because you've made a space in front of it, the ball will roll forward. And imagine that you're constantly pushing the space down in front of one of these craft, that mm-hmm. it's all it's always falling forward. And maybe these yeah. things are, like you say, they're not flying necessarily in the way we understand it. They're falling or moving. And, and we've got Dave wants to come in on that. Yeah, I just want to correct you on one point there, mate. Oh, um, was it the Buzz Lightyear quote? Yeah, it was Woody that said that Buzz wasn't flying, he was following his style. Because Buzz <laughs> was delusional, you did think he was actually flying. I, I believe in the second film, Buzz uh, brings that quote back and says it himself, so I'm going to quote Toy Story 2 on that one, Dave. But you're quite right, it was Woody. Enough. But you know what, I'm glad I've got the Bob Lazar, you know, the physics of that one, right? Cause it's not my, <laughs> it's not my oh, fault, yeah. Dave. Um, so let's go around then um, some really good uh, insight on that one it's a really good point brought up from Deep and I like he's went for the, the meta being one of the young kids as well um, it makes me feel so old calling someone young when I'm 34 um, but uh, Dan do you want to kick us off are you keeping those uh, descriptive words for the phenomenon or are you consigning them to room 101 if if by his uh submission he means you know putting definitive labels on things um and that he's worried about the the kind of the associations that we drag along with those labels then yeah it can go in room 101 however if he's talking about using the labels in a sense of exploration then it shouldn't go into room 101 Dan is trying to ruin the scoring. I'm really not. I kept this one simple after the feedback from listeners last time when Dan couldn't stick to a 0 to 10 or a 1 to 10, jumping in with 11s and 0.5s. So I'm going to go with your first one, Dan. uh, That yes, it's descriptive words, so we're going to be bidding that one. Dan's already asked, and he's not getting away with it to to not have any decisive votes on this one, and he will be he will be getting them. I might leave Mick Wests for Dan. Um, Dave, I'll ask you to come in on that one then. Uh, so, um, to words for the phenomenon. Yeah, I think until we we're never going to definitively know what it is, so I think we should keep it for now. Oh, so this is the first time we're going to have to have a decisive third vote, and it's going to land on Gaucho. 
so John, it depends how he interprets it because no, I had two different no, it ways. It, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> Look, I I totally got uh, why Dan interpreted it in those two different ways, and I get what Dave is saying too. It's like that's why I was saying this one's kind of tricky, tricky because like we use the words sort of just to to classify it, but then. I feel like we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes because we spent all these years calling this is a perfect example. We spent all these years calling it flying saucers and UFOs when they were going through the sky and the water. And I also think too, like you never know, like these terms, like this new term um, UAP or unidentified aerial phenomenon, which was actually given to us. It wasn't like the four of us here created that term. They were like, Oh no, now it's called UAP guys here that might just be straying us away from looking at the bigger picture because it's as simple as a three letter, you know, a little three letter thing that throws us off from, you know, seeing that that thing that they've been telling us is actually a a sheep is not a sheep. There's a wolf under there, but we've been calling it sheep and looking at it like it was a sheep because they told us it was. So I don't know, but, ah, this one's tricky. Uh, you know what? I'm going to throw it into room 101 only because of what I just said, but I totally get what Dave was saying too. So only for, only for the, because of what I just said, I'm throwing it in room 101, but if not, I get it. It's, it, <laughs> it, it's gone deeper sad, um, descriptive words for the phenomenon, crypto terrestrial, ultra terrestrial, UAP, UFO. It's something we don't know what it is. Let's not pigeonhole it. Um, yeah, so that, that's being binned. That's being chucked into room 101. So the guys agree with Deep on that one largely. Awesome. Thank you very much for that one, Deep. And we look forward again to hearing more from Deep, uh, controversial or not, in 2021. Next up, uh, another podcast host has been really good with myself and gave me a lot of hints and advice and tips along the way is Ryan Sprague of the awesome Summer in the Skies podcast. Ryan also is a co-host on several different TV projects as well and this year released a very successful follow-up to um, his previous book, again, Summer in the Skies, um, which is, I'm probably going to get this one wrong, but a human approach to an alien subject, or it was the other way around, but the the book itself looks at the the human element of abduction experiences really really good there's some uh, some really fascinating cases in there as well it's one you can read from start to finish or you can pick up and go into different cases that might interest you as well so uh, ryan's book is still available uh, i've got amazon and other outlets as well and if you have a look at ryan's personal facebook and twitter accounts you'll see he's got some signed ones normally for sale as well which i'd recommend so ryan uh has sent in so uh, the recent ones uh, the last three sorry have been pretty much keeping a theme for the last year or two we're going to take a little step back with ryan's who wants to put into room 101 he wants to submit the roswell slides debacle from may 2015 he says they were one of the most embarrassing moments in ufo history the live event in mexico city was a joke the outcome was hilariously offensive to the young native american boy who the slide tu- the slide turned out to be of and those involved remain untarnished in this amnesia field we find ourselves in so that was may 2015 uh, it actually started a few years before that as well this is something i'm going to throw to dave first because dave is a bit of a font of all knowledge with these sorts of things <laughs> uh so Basically, Dave, oh, uh, the the background to this one was that someone's, as I'd read it, someone's grandkid found uh, slides in the attic, basically one of those, and yeah. it ended up skipping right forward to uh, to the May 2015 
been put on a presentation and but some journalists got involved with in Mexico City and they basically showed what was purported to be the Roswell alien body on screen, but things kind of very quickly went downhill, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of snowballed into fast, which, you know, a few subjects in ufology have, like the star child skull, which has proven to be 100% human DNA. Um, you were the Nazca mummies, which I don't know if you remember those from a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah. they were, that was the, that was just equally as embarrassing, to be honest. Um, and for Gaia to put out a six, seven episode series on that behind a subscription paywall was just a joke. Um, but yeah, the Roswell slides. I mean, the, one of the actual photos that were published, it actually had the museum label next to it. And it said exactly what it was. It was like a small child. And that famously came out, was it, and similar to the recent uh, debrief photo, it wasn't a yeah. photo the debrief had, they, they just happened to post it online, but the, the fighter pilot's picture, that within hours, people had pictures of this Batman balloon that was on sale, um, that had the same yeah. shape, and very quickly <coughs> something similar happened with the Roswell slides, where only hours, I believe it was live streamed as well, it was still on the was, live stream and yeah. people found it during a very long live stream because there was loads of speakers that the, the plaque actually read, the, as you say, the museum's label and what it was as well. It was. I mean, and the fact that people were equating this with Roswell when it clearly wasn't because of the size of it. Um, but the person involved, Hamid Musan, is he's got a very bad reputation when it comes to alien artifacts. Um, he was one of the people behind the Nazca mummies as well um, recently so for you know I don't think there's a lot you can really say I mean you, like the Atacama skeleton as well do you remember that yeah from a couple of years ago I mean that was taken I mean that was Emery Smith um, and people like that uh, Jimmy Church banged on about it for months and months and they took it with them to conferences. I mean, if that was a real alien skeleton, there is no way they would be able to manhandle that and take it around conferences for people to drool over and breathe over and everything like that. That'd be kept in a suitcase in a warehouse underground in the middle of the desert somewhere. So, so the Ros- Roswell slides, you know, it's just Ryan's right is one of the most embarrassing moments, like the alien autopsy as well, those videos. And just to expand on that, uh, and I'll, I'll move on to Gaucho, cheers Dave, not just the Roswell slides, but Ryan Sprague is making the point that these events that end up getting put on, that are badly researched and within mm. minutes or hours are exposed. Uh, John, I mean, it's clear that these aren't going to be something we want to keep in ufology, but do you think there is enough of a pushback or comeback on those that are involved in these because Ryan seems to feel people just get away with these sorts of events and then can just go on to do something else uh, people do get away with these kinds of things because like uh, like Dave said uh, Jaime Musan is still working like he's still around and anything that has to do with Jaime Musan for me is like a no I don't even pay attention and it's actually crazy because I remember Richard Dolan, if I'm not mistaken, was part of that, right? Am I am I yeah. wrong? Yeah, he was, no, he was and, part of that, and then he quickly backs away from it. I mean, but it, that's why you also have to be careful who you who you team up with too, because <laughs> that, that right right away, 
when somebody, if somebody comes to me and tells me they have slides from Roswell, first thing I'm going to want to do is see the slides myself. And if I see it, there's all these, have you guys noticed there's always like these little shriveled up alien baby bodies that they keep showing everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. didn't uh, Greer had one right in one of his documentaries. Yeah. Or was that's, it that's the combo one I think. Yeah. And you know, I, I wish that we could actually find something like that, but if something like that did exist, just like Dave said, I don't think any, I don't think anyone would be able to walk around with it. And if if I had a alien artifact, a real alien artifact, like a dead alien, a real one, if I called Dave and said, Hey, I got a dead alien in my house. You're not going to believe it. I think it would take 15 minutes, 20 minutes before I disappeared off the map. If it was a real dead alien. So for us to be, it's just, it's sad too, because it's like, it shows how much we want to have answers and people take advantage of that. So yeah, yeah that's I, definitely room 101. Where see, for me, that, that sort of stuff, like you say, if anyone did claim to have anything that was potentially ET on their person and they, they did manage to even get on an aircraft, that's the kind of stuff that aircraft go missing and never get found because of and it's landed on some island somewhere that is taken away removed and then you know what happens to the people unfortunately happens not saying that that has happened in any case but that's the sort of extremes i think that sort of smoking gun evidence would be protected um dan your thoughts then on incidents like the the roswell slides and, and those sorts of events it's i mean it's pretty straightforward isn't it it's it's definitely one for me to just throw into room 101 without much thought um i just add that oftentimes there are people in the community uh like dave and john who see these grifters coming from a mile away um so whenever these events happen it's always worth just have a bit of a research around twitter search the event name and the names behind the event um in google and just see what's associated with them because you'll just you'll save yourself a lot of let down and disappointment. Agree. Um, so I've already wrote down, I think, three answers here, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming they're going to be <laughs> correct anyway. Uh, Gaucho, uh, are we going with, are we binning and consigning this to Room 101 or are we keeping it in ufology? No, we're grabbing it by the belt. We're throwing it in 101. We're kicking the door closed behind it, basically. <laughs> ben, Dan, are you, are you binning? Are you keeping uh, yeah, I'm kicking that door. <laughs> You're locking the door behind. And Dave? Oh, yeah, it's going in. No questions. Absolutely. So, yeah, Ryan Sprague, thank you very much for that. And again, like I say, folks, uh, Christmas is right around the corner. Amazon Prime is available. Go buy Ryan's book. Uh, listen to the podcast as well. It's, it's someone I've taken a lot of inspiration from. So thanks very much for that, Ryan. appreciate that one. Next up, we have David Marceau. David uh, was a guest on Unidentified Season 2. Uh, he was someone I got in touch with and got one of his first interviews fresh from Unidentified when his episode aired as well. David is a really good guy and has stayed involved within the community too. Um, getting online, getting involved and done a lot of good charity work this year as well. Doing his gen- gentleman's ride, uh, motorcycle ride I believe it's called, which raised some cash as well, so... 
Um, Dave's doing a very British thing and laughing at the name Gentleman's Ride. I believe that's uh, you know, we talked about that childish maturity before. That's it. Sorry, yeah, man. it's yeah. a very it's a it's a British thing. I I understand. That's all right. But yeah, so David's a great guy, and uh, I'll play the audio clip now of David's suggestion. I love science. I believe in science. In large part, this is due to the scientific method. I can trust that when a scientist makes a bold new claim, that it is true because that claim has been published, peer-reviewed, and repeated. That claim will be untainted by political opinion, whether it supports or defies political opinion. Science is truth. I also have a problem with science when this same academic rigor is applied to proving life on other planets. A UFO sighting is not repeatable. Science cannot prove life on other planets solely based on eyewitness accounts, despite the fact that there are thousands of them. Yet, the UFO community continues to look to the scientific community for validation, validation which will never come based on current standards of evaluation. If the UFO community were to ask the legal community to weigh in on this, the legal community would not use the scientific method. They would use something more like a preponderance of evidence. They would not even look for 100% proof. The legal community would look for a likelihood It is more likely than not, based on the thousands of eyewitness accounts, there is intelligent life on other planets, and it comes here and observes us. So, my question to the panel is, should we in the UFO community continue to look to science and its scientific method to prove what we already know? Or, should we instead take a legal route and use a preponderance of evidence or some other standard. Thank you very much to David Marceau for that suggestion. So David is looking to send to Room 101 the idea that we continue to use the scientific method. This is one that I think will cause a little bit of debate because it's something personally I am I am all for, but I do see David's point and, and what he's getting at. Dan... I am going to come to you first on this one. So, yeah, so David had a little question at the end there anyway, and he's going towards, should we use a more legal approach where it's a likelihood, given the weight of evidence and the, the likelihood and the percentage chance this is happening, or do we continue to go with a scientific approach? Um, I really love this one. Uh, one. One of my closest friends is a lawyer, and we always talk about this, um, and how how there's just such overwhelming evidence that we're at the point where it's beyond reasonable doubt um and that if you can convince people in a court of law and that's enough to you know well enough in some places to take a man's life then it's perfectly fit to to use in this uh instance um david's question also made me think of um i don't know if you guys came across this but in 2016, uh, there was a study done uh, with 1,500 scientists who were asked about their ability to reproduce results 
of papers that were said to be peer-reviewed. Um, 70% of researchers tried and failed to reproduce another scientist's experiment, and more than half of the people asked failed to reproduce their own experiments. Um, they go on to say that rather than taking that as a sign that the work is wrong, um, they take it that the paper is correct and that they've done something wrong. That, to me, bottoms out science <laughs> pretty much. It just pulls the rope from the bottom because that's the whole point of the scientific principle, right, is that you can reproduce something perfectly and go, oh, well, I've observed this thing, so it's an objective reality between us, therefore it's a scientific principle. So I'm going to go with David's suggestion and be brave here, and I'm, I'm going to vote to throw this in room 101. So you're going with binning the scientific approach that people argue for in favour of, it would be something else. And Dan, actually, um, 90% of listeners couldn't recreate your Mobius strip with a glass of water <laughs> technique that you discussed on the previous roundtable. Um, it it doesn't mean that it's not right, though, according to science. No, <laughs> science backs me in this. <laughs> we're not all triple jointed. But do you know what? I'm, surpri- <laughs> I'm surprised. I really liked um, David's point. Uh, and, and that's I thought it was a really interesting one. Um, it really got me thinking as well because at first I was like, well, you can't just bin the scientific method. It's what we want scientists and we want mainstream scientists to get more involved in this. But he makes the point that, do you know what, actually it, it's not going to work for what we're trying to do. And you even look at things like... Um, you know, SETI and those types of institutes and and anyone else, like you're trying to use something that's very black and white and repeatable that, oh, well, we find a radio signal, yet can we find it again? Yep. Oh, look, it's repeating. And that's not what happens in this subject as far as we can see. And is it something else really obvious that we're missing out? Um, and like you say, from a legal standpoint, it's enough that a likelihood can, can condemn someone to death and the death penalty without being 100%. There's no video evidence of it. There's no photographic evidence. There might not even be DNA evidence, but there's enough in the circumstantial that, yeah, do you know what, this person uh, is going to be in jail for life or, you know, as as I said, the death penalty. So that's a really interesting point. And I am surprised that you've went with um, been the scientific method for the reasons given. So um, I'll pass that one over to Dave. Dave, what's your thoughts on what Dave Marceau is looking to, to put in Room 101? Well, I think he's right in the, you know, we are, our scientific community is hamstrung by what has come before them. Um, If you think about Einstein and Newton and, um, you know, all those other, you know, the Fermi paradox and all that kind of thing. Where our understanding is based on decades old understanding of the subject. It's only recently where quantum theory has come into the mix that we are starting to develop a different understanding of what's going on. But to apply something to like UAPs or portals or Skinwalker Ranch or anything like that, you can't do it with what we currently know because it doesn't behave in the same way. I mean, we see, we don't know how a craft can come in from space or possibly come in from space, hover, and then, do a deep dive to the bottom of the Mariana Trench or, you know, off Guadalupe Island or things like that. It's very hard for the public to understand what is going on if science can't explain it in a way 
that is understandable. And I think because we can't repeat the experiments, we're always going to struggle with actually trying to make sense of it. And and with so much, you look at things as going and developing from A to B to C, going along, like we can look at a timeline of human history and the way technologies moved and evolved. And even if you look back at the way things were 100 years ago or 50 years ago, mm-hmm. things are so different now that you need to really look at if you want to see where this technology is from or what it can do or how it operates or, you know, where it operates potentially, what time it operates in, you know, if it even uses that sort of same concept that it's not A to B to C, it's A to F, A to W. It's so far down the line. As Chris Chris Mellon said, it's it's not just next generation, it's generations upon generations upon generations of it. Sadly, if you gave Isaac Newton... Um, an iPhone and asked him to develop an app, a new app for it to explain his theory of gravity, would he be able to do it? I bet he wouldn't have a charger. No one's ever got a charger on them. So, yeah. <laughs> he, he could drop the phone, though. He could <laughs> drop the phone. But then the screen would crack and he'd have to buy a new one. He could probably find an Apple genius <laughs> somewhere that could, could repair that for them. Apple don't sponsor the show yet, so, you know, I'm not going to plug no. them too much. <laughs> But you're, you're right, though. It's that whole, you can always make the argument of you put a piece of technology from now back in a certain point in time, and even the technology we've got now going back 50 years, or like yeah. even 100, 200 years ago, it was witchcraft, and you'd be burnt <laughs> at the stake, potentially, you know, for that sort of stuff. So it's crazy how far advanced. And all, all we're asking people, again, like none of us are claiming to be scientists as far as I'm aware here, okay? So definitely not as a podcaster, but we are asking people to, instead of going that reverse and going, look where we were 200 years ago to now, we are looking going, imagine where we could be in 200 years and how the technology we've got now will be so out of date and so left behind. We might not have cars anymore. Smartphones might be a thing of a, a long gone thing of the past. You know, social media may not even exist. We talked before we went on air, we were joking about, you know, VR headsets and that sort of experience and, you know, Neuralinks. And maybe that will be, that might even be outdated technology in 200 years, the way things are advancing. Um, SpaceX, just to give, you know, what what they've done recently. I watched the recent uh, test launches and finally on the third launch, yes, it blew up on landing pretty spectacularly, but they got the data they wanted and you're seeing how quickly they're advancing what they're trying to do as well. So Yeah, I think we got, um, there's still an arrogance in the scientific community where they believe that what they say is correct. I mean, Scientists have got research papers going back decades which promote certain theories, and if that theory is proved to be wrong, they will fight against any new science coming through. Yep. Yeah. Rather than just admit that, you know, that it, that it's wrong. Um, Gaucho, do you want to come in on that one then? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Dave touched on something there at the end that I totally vibe with. Um, the human ego seems to get in the way of a lot of things um, basically of how we see reality and, and our understanding of what is, what is happening basically in life. Um, I think we talked about it on one of the, on the round table, but it's like, I'm, I always liked science and art in high school. Uh, not a big fan of math, but uh, 
it, it was interesting. It was fascinating to see like, you know, every little aspect of molecules and learning, learning about biology and all this kind of different stuff and doing science experiments. But um, I realized that, you know, every explanation, every definition, every concept that we have is created with, by the human mind. It's a human construct. So how do you expect to explain a alien phenomenon uh, within the parameters of human science? I think that might be one of our biggest flaws when we look out into, you know, off when we look out into the universe and into reality. Uh, that's why I feel like consciousness is so hard for so many people to grasp and this idea of, you know, multidimensional theories and all that kind of stuff is just something that people talk about, but the common general public is not really thinking about consciousness. Um, So yeah, for me, I think, you know, I personally believe too that uh, science is actually, when it comes to the UFO phenomenon, it's kind of tripping us up. So it might, it might, you never know. I mean, in the future, it may lead to some great development. We might understand something about this, but it's like, you can't study something that, that defies every logical explanation we can have. You know, you can't try to put a number on it if there's no number to put on it, basically. So Dan's already told me that he's going with uh, Binning, this one. Uh, are you saying Gaucho, you're going with Bin too, yeah? Yeah, I just crunched it up into a little ball and I, threw it into the bin awesome <laughs> and uh dave what are your thoughts then scientific method for studying uap i think purely because we're hamstrung by what we know and what we don't know then yeah it's going to go in cool and listen folks we have never said we're going to come up with a solution we're just saying that uh maybe there should be something else looked at as well so i'm surprised at that one but david marceau um the panel have agreed with you and the guys have chosen unanimously to bin the scientific method for study of uaps in favor of something else that might give us better results as well okay and next up before we take a break we've got jeremy mcgowan jeremy similar to david marceau appeared in episode uh, series two of unidentified jeremy had his own sighting and experience while on active duty and again as someone uh, he had one of his first interviews on the podcast so check that out in the archive he stayed extremely active within the community getting extremely involved with the sky hub project as well uh, currently has his fundraiser on the go which he is building the sky hub platform so that is something very much well worth checking out so jeremy mcgowan really nice guy as well great to talk to hit him up on twitter he sent in a submission via text. He wanted to put in Room 101, and this goes hand in hand with, I think, a little bit like Sean Cahill's. Uh, I'm, I'm putting into Room 101, shaking hands, cell phone videos, and any photo or video without the original EXIF data. Also, any fighter jet with a bloody flare. <laughs> so, Jeremy has uh, taken no prisoners with that one. We will kick off with uh, Gaucho. So, uh, Jeremy doesn't like bloody videos, bloody photos, unclear uh, unclear evidence, basically, including some of the, the best equipment that these fighter jets seem to have. Yeah, I mean, he's making a cop, you know, a point that gets brought up often. But if we did do that, if we did somehow cancel that out, there would be no videos or photos to look at. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to keep that one. Um, I get it. You know, people... 
often point that out. Uh, but I don't think it's that simple to get a clear photo in, in that moment that you're experiencing something. And if you have a good a camera on you, which not everyone is carrying a DSLR or some kind of high quality camera that they could, you know, shoot a zoom lens on it that that professional photographers use to get a crisp HD photo. Like even if you take your iPhone out and you zoom it out, you zoom into, you know, the, the image, the, whatever you're seeing in the sky or whatever you're experiencing. First of all, if you're filming, it's probably going to be shaky um, because of the zoom. And then second of all, it's all the way zoomed in. So it's probably not even going to be clear. So this idea that I think Skyhub and that kind of stuff might, might be a better option, but I also don't know how clear uh, I haven't seen the videos from Skyhub. How clear is the footage guys? Have you guys um, seen it? J- just now, just depending on the equipment. And I, this is something again, just to plug my interview with Steve McDaniel, we talked about um, <laughs> that the, the footage tends to be at the moment, it's it's still a light in the sky. Uh, it's very much you can see something going from point A to point B across the the hemisphere, the atmosphere, and they're just looking at you know different weather phenomena, um, speeds of travel. If there's other things within the shot as well, like other aircraft, mm. they could they could take measurements off of. So it's not as if you're necess- you're not going to see a spacecraft in, in any detail on on the cameras being used. So. Um... Yeah. That is planned to change, though, right? Yes. Because at yeah. the moment, they just have the one kind of fishbowl lens or fisheye lens, mm. um, and they want that to essentially identify, you know, the, the point of light in the sky. And then there's a second camera that has a much more um, telescopic lens that can kind of just zoom in there and get a nice close-up. And that was Steve's point, though, as well. What There's a lot of possibilities with Skyhub, and obviously we'll, we'll talk about Skyhub another time more, but it's all at a cost and this is something with jeremy himself he's doing a fundraiser not because he doesn't want to pay for himself but this is some expensive kit and as you'll know gaucho being a a man who likes his cameras and his filming um as i know that's like dan's background as well that you can have a lot of cameras and you can get a lens or you can get a nice lens you can get a very nice lens you could get a super nice lens but those go into thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars so yeah. it, it really depends on cost and price and everything as to, to yeah what kind of clear image. But you're right, Skyhub might be a really viable image for that. And I, I've brought this up several times on the podcast, but one of my favourite things of 2020 has been the vindication of the, the blimp where people were uh, filming <laughs> and taking photos of the blimp over the New York Jets game <laughs> from a distance from the highway in reasonable light with all their fancy new iPhones, Samsungs and cameras and people still couldn't get a good shot of what turned out to be the, the blimp advert. I think it was Goodyear, am I right? That has like the LED screen on it. But mm-hmm. from a dis- from a distance, it did look like, you know, your classic UFO, big rotating, you know, saucer in the sky, lights flying around it. And people still argued, even when it was confirmed, no, no, this was the blimp above the Jets game, that you know, that, that could have been something else. So that, that makes the point right there. There's something in 2020 in reasonable conditions, hundreds of people saw it caused a bit of a traffic jam looking at it and they still couldn't get a clear shot of it with, with modern technology. Yeah. I mean, I'm just imagining like what it would look like if I were trying to get a super HD clear shot of a UFO. Like I would literally have to 
change my lens, grab a tripod, hook up the camera to the tripod, focus, fix my, uh, my ISO, my aperture, and try to get the best shot I could. And by the time I do all that, the thing will probably be gone. And, and who knows what could happen? I'm saying it's, it's a, I get it. And he makes perfect sense with what he's saying. And yeah, of course, if we can have HD super 4k footage of a UFO, then that would be awesome. But I don't think we're going to get it. And we have to work with what we got. You know, if, if if we were to throw this into room 101, we'd get rid of go fast Fleer and, and the gimbal. Yeah, that's a really good Dan. That's a, a really good shout out she was just brought up there. That would we be then? And I think this is maybe what Jeremy's getting at. Would we be getting rid of those um, videos and that we know and love from TTSA? Uh, yeah, it would potentially mean we were. <clears throat> um, but there is said to be better data there, right? And better videos. There are strong to be a better yeah, strong rumors of yeah. Um, so that that might be a loophole there for this one, um, but yeah, you, John, John and Jeremy are, are both right. We're speaking to the quality of the data again, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and it would be great to get the best data in the world, but we can't even get the data that is locked behind closed doors at the moment. Um, so I don't really want to throw it into room one hundred and one, um, just because that's what we have to work with right now. And just before we throw to Dave on that one, so that's two keeps. So regardless of what Dave says, it's it's staying. I also, just for my two cents, I quite like still the intriguing photo or the conversation starter. Um, even the, the, you know, some of the, the Mars Rover photos that uh, there was a bit of controversy. I posted someone else's photo from the, you know, I, I don't have a personal link to the Mars Rover, um, but it was an interesting photo of, you know, just a, an object which seemed to be hovering in the sky. And I hadn't even heard the language before of it's an artifact, which is, you know, just something left over from the, the various, not to get into the detail of it, because I don't know it, but, you know, the, the various images overlapping, you know, or the, the, moving along, that's fine. But do you know what? It did still look a little bit like the gimbal saucer hovering at a distance in the sky. I don't see anything wrong with looking at those kind of pictures. I'm not knowingly posting fake images because even regardless of the fact that more than likely was an artifact, we still don't know either way. That's that's the thing, right? So uh, there's still a mystique to this that I like from when I was a child and I still like to see videos and pictures of things that make me go, oh, I wonder, or what is that? Or it looks a little bit different. There's still that that is exciting and I, I would hate to get rid of, you know, even like, you know, a family member or a friend or someone posting online that I've just taken this picture outside that you and we all do the same thing. You tap on it, you try and, you know, enlarge the screen. You want to look at the detail and you're looking for stuff and then you find out it's a kid's party balloon, don't you, Dave? <laughs> no, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I've never taken pictures of kids' party balloons. <laughs> But, but yeah, no, what, what, what are you thinking? As, as a man who, uh, you work in print, so again, your, yeah. your, your photographs are part of your livelihood with this. Yeah, I mean, as Gadsha will tell you, I mean, when you take a photo on a high-spec camera, the DLSR or wherever, you get a certain image quality, a certain pixel resolution to that image. And that image could be like 30, 40, up to 60, 80 meg, even higher than that when you actually compress it down to a usable 
file size, I mean, if you're optimizing for web use, for example, you are getting rid of a lot of the information in that photograph, um, which I think is the problem that you have because most images online will be 72 dots per inch, um, which is perfectly optimized for online use. They load quicker, which everyone wants on a website. You don't want to be sat there like Gary McKinnon waiting for a picture of a UFO to come over your modem for six hours. Um, so, you know, these we have that kind of problem as well because people want hits to their website and they don't want people to be hanging around waiting for images to load. Um, but he does have a fair point because, I mean, as you said, with the Goodyear blimp for the Jets game, I mean, that was the classic case of people saying before, oh, we've got all this great technology, why can't you take a clear picture of a UFO? And it's like, well, there you go. You've just tried and you failed. Could I mean, you the other thing is, of a blimp? Yeah. Oh, no, exactly. And you knew it was a blimp. You could see a Goodyear sign on the, on the side of it. But if you go outside and you haven't got a tripod and you've got a pair of decent binoculars and you look up to the stars, if you're holding those with your, just your hands, just your, you know, without the tripod, your arms will be shaking and you cannot focus. And it looks like that star is dancing about like a UFO. So that's the other thing. You need high quality kit. You need to be in the right place at the right time. And you need anything in the sky to play ball and, and stay know, still long enough for you to be able to take a decent photo, which it's not going to do. Yeah, myself and my wife a couple of months ago spent quite a while at the at the window looking at what we thought was a, a star moving in the sky. But not even just looking through the, the camera lens that we're trying to do on, on the phone, because again, like you say, you don't realise how much you're shaking when you think you're being perfectly still. Yeah. Even just standing looking at it, you don't realise that you're not standing perfectly still. Your body's still moving. And even that, and then it's, it, was, it looked like a really clear night but you can't see some of the light cloud passing in front. So all of that makes it look like this thing was moving in the sky and it wasn't. And yeah. I, bring, I brought up one of the, the star maps I've got on my phone that Dan suggested quite a while back. And yeah, you go, oh, it's, it's actually in the exact same place this star should be in. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. been there about 45 minutes. It's, it's not just the UFA community as well. It's like the paranormal investigative community. They go on ghost hunts and they're saying, oh, why have you never got a picture of a ghost? It's because, well, that ghost is just going to be there for a second or two. The best equipment that we have is our own eyeballs because we can pick up things and we're not shaking when we're looking at something unless it's freezing cold. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, technology will never compete with what we can see with our own eyes and our mind. But then, you know, we're not going to say, oh, hang on a minute, let me just get my iPhone out of my pocket and click. And that's true. And I'll go back to when I saw that black triangle, even if I did driving at 60 miles an hour, which I think is 80 or 90 kilometres, I'm not, I'm not too sure in the conversion uh, for listeners stateside, then I would have taken that phone out, been moving at speed, taking a picture of the sky, and, yeah. and you, would, you wouldn't have seen anything. That There would have been nothing yeah. there to see, even though I, I was... Yeah, I was seeing it with my, that was it. So um, we've got two keeps. Dave, are you bidding or keeping that then? I can't remember what it was now, but yeah, keep. It doesn't matter, <laughs> does it? Uh, yeah, so uh, the the bloody photographs, the bloody videos. Uh, yeah, let's the, keep them. Yeah, so we're looking to keep that. So yeah, thank you for the suggestion, Jeremy, but we're not sending that to room 101. 
Folks, um, after this short message, we'll be back with uh, Simeon Hine, Jay from Project Unity, UFO Jojo Mergia, Mick West, you'll want to hear that one, and also the, the gents on the podcast have got their own suggestions, as well as a few of the listeners' choice selections too. So stick around, we'll be right back. UFOs seem to be invading both our skies and our news outlets like never before. And more people are starting to look up and are wondering who or what might be out there. In 2016, Ryan Sprague introduced the world to countless UFO encounters that had never been made public before. And now, in the second edition of his book, he revisits these events and introduces brand new UFO cases in Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. How have these events changed the lives of those involved? And what might it tell us about the phenomenon? With in-depth follow-ups, brand new chapters, and detailed testimony from credible witnesses and insight from those in the psychological, academic, and scientific fields, Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon, weaves together a story of stories, attempting to get to the heart of these mysteries one experience at a time. Available now on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. To learn more, visit somewhereintheskies.com.